Uh, as we get today, as I said earlier, we're going to be in Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 1 through verse 7. So again, if you have your Bibles, open them up. You know, when I was growing up, uh, my mom raised me as a single mother and remarried at, uh, I was about 10 when she remarried. And she was raised in southern Missouri, and she was raised by a family that was staunchly Democratic and Methodist. And she decided to marry a Republican Lutheran from northwest Missouri. And I remember when she brought him back to my mom's hometown to meet my grandmother, she told him, don't talk about politics and you don't talk about religion, and we'll get along just fine. Everything will go great. She'll love you. But don't talk about politics and we don't talk about religion. Have you ever heard that? Right? If you want to avoid heated arguments, you don't talk about politics, you don't talk about religion, and you don't talk about which way the toilet paper goes. <laughs> there are certain things you avoid. But I think there's some words that Paul has for us this morning that says maybe we can talk about these things, but there's certain conduct that really kind of governs us as Christians. And the reason we're going to talk about, not really politics, but government, and what it means for us as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, what does it mean for us to live in a secular world and under a secular government? What are our responsibilities and obligations as Christians to that government? To that authority that's put over us. And I believe in Paul's letter here, he's saying not only to those that are being ruled, I think he has advice and he has words of wisdom for those that are ruling. So at this intersection of church and state, Paul has words for both the church and the state. But as citizens of that kingdom, Paul has some words for us this morning that I have to tell you are challenging for me. They're challenging because when I think about these words, and as I studied these words, I got stiff-necked, and it's just like, really? But how appropriate that God would continue to work in those areas in your life, and in my life, and how gracious it is for Him to share those words with us and remind us of this truth, that we have been given an amazing responsibility. And so Paul this morning has words for us as citizens in a kingdom, in a world that's secular under a government that's secular. How do we behave? How do we live as Christians? What is our responsibility? And I believe Paul, as I said, has words for both the leader and the led. And there are three things that I think he tells us this morning that we can see in this text is, what is the authority that God has placed in our world? And what is the responsibility of that authority in those that are being ruled? And then what's the cost for both? What's the cost? as we delve in, I want to start with verse 1. Romans 13, verse 1. Follow along with me, if you would, if your Bibles. I'm using the NIV translation this morning. Paul starts by saying, let everyone, everyone means no exceptions, every single person, be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. You know, there's some amazing things that Paul says here. But one of the first things that I want to point out is I want to take you back to the beginning of chapter 12, where Paul says, therefore. Meaning because everything that we've read up to that point, Paul's saying, because of what God has done for us, therefore, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It's under that heading 
that we read these verses. Out of reverence for Christ, because what God has done, submit yourselves to the authority. Now think about this. Paul is a Jew. He's a pharisaical Jew. And they were being oppressed by the Roman Empire. And as a Jew, they were seeking to overthrow the Roman Empire. They wanted no more of the Roman Empire and and were waiting for the Messiah to come so they could wage war against the Roman Empire and overthrow the Roman Empire. And now Paul is writing to the church in Rome and saying, submit to this authority. Submit to them. Subject yourself to their rule. Be good citizens in their kingdom. What a change for Paul. It's remarkable that he's sharing that. Think about that. But there's some other things that in this text I think he, see, he says that we need to understand. And the next thing is, is that he's saying that it's the authority that is God's minister, not the ruler. It's the authority that God has put in our lives over us for our benefit, not the ruler. It's the office, not the person occupying the office. But the person occupying the office has been put in charge. And it's that authority that we are to respect. It's that authority that we are to submit to. And he leaves no exception. He doesn't say if or but. You know, if you're not in a, under a good leader or if he's a tyrant, you don't have to obey him. You don't have to submit to them. He says, no, there's no exception. Everyone in every circumstance needs to submit to the authority of those put over them. I mean, that's huge. And I know as you're sitting there like I am, and going, really? But that's exactly what he says. But why does he say that? He says that because there would be no authority if God had not established it. He says, there is no authority except that which God has established. In other words, anywhere you see an authority, it's only because God has established it there. John says in his, in his letter, in the Gospel letter, in chapter 1, he says, through him, meaning through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. If you see anything in this universe, it's because God has made it. Period. If you see authority anywhere, it's because God has established it. And he's saying, we obey and submit to the authority because it is God that instituted it. Not the ruler, but to the authority that God has placed over us. And as citizens in this secular world, under a secular government, we submit to the authority of that government out of reverence for Christ. Now this isn't anything new. This isn't something new in, in, in the text. This is something we see all the way back in the beginning of the Bible. When God creates the world and he puts man and tells him to have dominion over everything that he has created, he has placed man over everything in this world to govern on his behalf. We also see it in the life of, I think, a perfect example, which is David. David, when he was anointed to be king, he was a young shepherd boy, and this king Saul was still the king of Israel. But he had disobeyed God and transgressed God's will, and so God decided to anoint a new king, and he sent Samuel, his prophet, to go and anoint David, this young boy, to be king. And David served Saul. But David becomes really popular 
And everybody loves David. And Saul becomes envious and jealous, and he hates David. And so he decides to try and kill David. And David and his men flee Israel. And they are chased around the countryside by Saul and his men. Until one day, Saul and his men stop, and Saul goes into a cave to relieve himself. And the story tells us that while he's in this cave, it turns out that David and his men were hiding in this cave. And here's Saul all alone. And David's men go, here's your opportunity. You should kill him. And this is his reply. He said, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. You hear what David says? Saul is still his master. He realizes and understands and confesses that God has placed him there. That he is the Lord's anointed. And heaven forbid that he should take that role upon himself just because Saul's trying to kill him. He said, that's not for me to do. That's for God to do. David recognizes that it is God's authority that has placed Saul there. And so he still submits to that authority. But then we also see in David's life, as a king, when he is finally king over Israel, recognizing what it is to be a leader and the responsibility he has to that leadership. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 18, or actually 11 through 12, where we see this play out, where David decides as king that he wants a woman who's married and so he arranges for her husband to be killed on the battlefield so he could take her as his wife. And he thinks he gets away with it until God sends the prophet Nathan to confront him. And Nathan confronts him and David repents. Why? Because he's reminded that he serves at the pleasure of God the Father. He is there because God himself has ordained for him to be there. He was overcome with his own popularity and his own power, but yet God reminds him that you serve at my pleasure. And so David humbles himself and he prays for forgiveness. He gives both the ruled and the ruler an example to follow. And he tells us, as those that are ruled, that we need to understand. As Paul says, that authority has been placed there by God. And we serve God by submitting to that authority. But he continues in verse 3 to tell us why. What's the responsibility? What's the purpose? Why is it that we do this? Why do we obey? He says, for rulers, hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. I have to tell you, when I read these verses this week, a name popped into my head. A name that hasn't been in my head for a long time. Max Duncan. He was the principal of my sixth grade school. In our hometown, they separated sixth graders, probably for wise reason, into their own school. And he was the principal and math teacher in that school. The first day of class, he stands up in front of the class 
And he says, I am the authority in this school and in this classroom. And he reaches over to his desk and he picks up this paddle with holes in it and he says, and this is my enforcer. Transgress my laws, transgress my rules, and you will meet my enforcer. And he lays it back down on his desk. I saw that as a challenge. <laughs> because unfortunately in my nature, as my dad says, I have to learn lessons. It's hard for me to be taught lessons. And so I set about to test that authority, and it was very quickly I found out that he wasn't kidding. I met the enforcer. And I met him probably about a dozen times that year because I couldn't learn that lesson. In fact, one time I got into a fight on the playground, and we were brought inside, and me and the other boy were going to be paddled, but he couldn't find his paddle. And we're like, yes. So he goes and he borrows another teacher's paddle, and on the last swat, it breaks. And we laugh. And he sends us back to our classroom. And then about five minutes later, he comes knocking on our classroom door, and he's got his paddle in his hand. And he calls us out into the hallway and says, so do you think it's funny now? And we're like, no, 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 no. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying to all of us, we need to understand that that authority has been given to us for our benefit, for our good. And if you want to still continue to be an adolescent sixth grader and rebel and, and fight against authority, then you can expect to be punished for that. Because that's why God has put that authority there as well. He's put that authority there for our good, but also to punish us and remind us that it is there for our good. To keep us from harming ourselves and harming others. You know, I never thought of Max Duncan as a servant of God until this week. The authority that God puts in our lives is there for our benefit. And he's telling us we need to stop rebelling against it like some adolescent sixth grader. And we need to start listening because God has instituted that authority for our good, for our benefit. And it doesn't matter who's in that office. He says we obey it because God has put it there. But then he says to the ruler that we have, they have a responsibility as well. To all of us, we have a responsibility to do good. He says, even when you've done wrong, if you do good, those unbelieving neighbors of you will commend you and praise your Father in heaven. So there's a benefit for doing good, not just for ourselves, but not just for those in our community, but those that don't know him can be blessed through your obedience. When you get the opportunity to say to them when they ask you, why, why would you honor that guy? Why would you speak well of that guy? Well, let me tell you why I do that. Because it's bigger than just that guy. And so he gives us an example. And to the leader, he says to him, do good and rule justly. Because that's exactly what he says rulers are to do. They're to serve those that they're ruling. And do good for them. It's a reminder to those in our midst that lead. That we are to serve those that we lead. And to do so rightly. Because we serve at the pleasure of the God of the universe. And in Psalm chapter 2, he gives those leaders a stern warning. 
He says, therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. There's a stern warning for leaders that want to go their way and use their power and influence for their own benefit. Because the one in authority still is in authority. And they serve at his pleasure. So we ask the question, what's the cost? Right? You get to that point, it's like, okay, so what's it going to cost me to do this? And I think Paul says very clearly, here's what it's going to cost. Your will, your ways, what you want for what God wants. He says, starting in verse 5, Therefore, it is necessary to submit, to obey, to surrender your will to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience, because you know it is God's will. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. We live as citizens, and we live as citizens of the kingdom of God under a secular rule. And he says to submit your will to his will. We serve ultimately the one true authority, and that's God the Father. He's established it. And so we submit to his will, and we put our will second. But, you know, David is a great example, but still for us the best example is his son, Jesus Christ who being very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But he humbled himself and became man. Even to death, death on a cross. See, Jesus came and submitted his will to the will of the Father. He says, I do nothing that I do not see my Father doing. And he did that for all of us. Even the tyrants. Even the megalomaniacs. Even the worst of leaders, he did that for, without exception. Because he loves us. And we've studied throughout this book that that's exactly why he does everything, because he loves us. He puts rulers and authorities over us because he loves us. And it's because of that love that we submit to those authorities, that we submit our lives to their rule. Because we understand the true power behind the throne is God the Father. And we serve His will, not our own. You know, in his book, Holy Citizens, Joel Bierman writes about what it means to be a citizen in a secular world. And this is one of the quotes I'd like to read to you. He says, God's will, made clear in His law and taught in His Scripture, is unwavering. The protection of human life matters more than securing human comfort. The pursuit of justice matters more than the pursuit of a desirable standard of living. A compassion shown to the marginalized or weak matters more than the national self-interest and prosperity. These are simple standards that should be evident to anyone attending to the teaching of Christ and his church. It should also be evident that when God's law is directing the Christian's voting, and further political activity, then it is all but impossible that any single party or social action group will align perfectly or even substantially 
with a Christian's own objectives and standards. It is not to a party, a political action committee, any special interest group that we submit to. It's to the will of God the Father. That is where we will find the good for our nation, for our people, for our leaders, is by following His direction and His will and submit our own agenda to His. That is His will for our lives as citizens in a secular world, under a secular government. So I want to give you a couple of just practical ways that I believe as citizens in this government we can make a difference. And one of the ways that I believe that we can do that is by paying our taxes. That's exactly what Paul says. The reason we pay our taxes is to pay the salaries of those that rule over us. To pay for them to be ministers and servants of God. But also he says to the rulers that you are to use those taxes for the good of the people that you serve. But we as citizens in this kingdom, this secular world, we obey God's word. And so we pay our taxes. That's what Paul tells those people in Rome and that's what he's telling us today. I think secondly, he's telling us to use our voices. We're to use our voices and one of the most practical ways we can do that is to vote. We can vote and use God's will in our voting. And one of the ways we can vote is, or one of the ways we can use our voices is by writing letters to our congressmen and senators. But we can take a page out of the prophet Nathan's book, and we can do so respectfully, and we can do so with tact. You know, when Nathan went and confronted David, he didn't get on a megaphone and yell out, Adulterer! And he didn't get on social media and point out all of his faults. No, he went to David, and he respectfully said to David, someone that he knew, humbled himself before the king and explained to the king what he had done. And as a result, David repented. We can take a page out of Nathan's book as we help our leaders, as we speak to our leaders to remind them that they serve at the pleasure of the Lord Almighty. And we do so with tact and with love because of what God can do through that. And I think finally, one of the things that we can do for our leaders is to pray for them. To pray that God's will be done in their ruling. To pray that they would come to the knowledge that they serve at the pleasure of God. And that he has a magnificent way for them to rule. We pray that they would come to that knowledge, that lives would be changed through their leadership. Paul says this to Timothy in a later letter. He says, I urge then, first of all, that all petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives and all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And he says he accomplishes that through our submission to that authority. God calls us to submit to the authority that he's placed over us for their good. Not only for our good, but for theirs. And we realize, as Paul reminds us today, that we serve ultimately at the pleasure of God the Father. And we are serving him 
when we serve those in authority over us. Because he himself has done the same. He himself made no distinction among us, but yet served us willingly, graciously. And we sit here today thanking him for not making any distinctions. For loving that rebellious sixth grader that still exists today. 